Do you want to become a better hockey player this summer with Paul Vincent Hockey? Since 1972, Paul Vincent, currently the head skills instructor of the Florida Panthers, has been developing NHL and college hockey players. Paul Vincent stands by his saying, there is always room for player development. Players such as Patrick Kane, Jonathan Taves, Matt Grizzlick, Patrick Sharp, Adam Oates, and many more have trained with Coach Vincent and his staff and have outstanding results. Join Paul Vincent this summer at one of his four Massachusetts locations, Canton, Saugus, Middleton, and Falmouth on Cape Cod. Registration is now open for 2022 camps. To reserve your spot today, go to pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. That's pvhockey.com or call 978-807-4070. Paul Vincent is ready to get back to work this summer. Are you? Welcome to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise Podcast, the podcast for serious hockey players and their supporters to help further their development and navigate their way throughout their hockey careers. And now, here is your host, New England Hockey Journal's Kirk Ludicky. Welcome to the New England Hockey Journal RinkWise Podcast. I'm your host, Kirk Ludicky. Very excited to bring you a special podcast tribute to Mount St. Charles coach Bill Belisle. Uh, who recently left us, but he left a lasting legacy of incredible service to the sport of hockey, to the game, to the to the many myriad players he coached over the years and lives he touched. And uh, really, this is an opportunity to to celebrate his life and his impact on the sport we love. And joining me in studio, I'm very excited to present to you his sons, David and Peter Belisle, and... Mark Diver, longtime Providence Journal sports editor and all-around hockey guru, uh, who is going to help us guide this uh, great discussion. So uh, I'm really pleased and honored that you could all join me, and uh, welcome welcome here to Milton Mass to our, our Siemens Media Studios, and we're very glad to have you. Well, thank you very much for having us. Yeah, pleasure to be here. Yeah, thank I you. can't wait to talk about my dad. It's awesome. Fantastic. So, uh, so Mark, I'm gonna I want to throw it over to you because I think it's important. You can really provide some some broader brush context, and then we can kind of drill down and 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 have that discussion. But I think you you spent years seeing firsthand Mount St. Charles and, and watching Coach Belisle and, and and the things that he was able to do and the remarkable run of championships. So I can think of no one better than to to start this discussion out with than than yourself. Well, thanks, Kirk. Uh, remarkable is the is the right word. Um, you know, I think I said to you a couple of weeks ago that, you know, if you had this, the Mount St. Charles hockey legacy and Bill Belisle uh, is the stuff of fiction almost. If you were to, you know, lay out the timeline and all the events, uh, you know, it would be easy to say, no, come on, that uh, – <laughs> what do you mean, uh, you know, this small, rundown, somewhat city of Woonsocket, that this is where, this was the hockey uh, capital of, of New England uh, for a, a quarter century at least. You know, you'd say, well, come on, that, that, that doesn't sound like it could even be possible. But, uh, but yet it was, and uh, the man who made that happen was, uh, was Bill Belisle. You know, so starting at the beginning, you know, I remember as a as a kid growing up in Rhode Island, Mount was 
was good. They, you know, they won some championships. But there were other teams, too, that were good. Barville was good. East mm-hmm. Providence was good. LaSalle was good. It wasn't all Mount. Uh, but then, starting in the 70s, it, it pretty much was all Mount. Uh, can you take us back to the beginning of your, your dad, uh, you know, taking sure. taking the job and, and how that all unfolded, and, and you guys as uh, as his sons, what was, what was it like to have a, a front-row seat to that? I did have a front-row seat. Uh, Peter, being 13 years younger than me, um, wasn't there at the beginning, but... Um, my dad um, was a diesel mechanic originally back in in the 60s, and um, Mount was built, the arena was built in 63, and they started playing on, on there in 64, 65. And my father and um, the people that were involved in hockey in Winsocket, Winsocket High School, they formulated the first youth hockey programs. So that's where my father started. Uh, it's called the Winsocket City League. And he helped coach in those leagues. Uh, that's where he showed his showed his stuff. He he was one of those pioneers that went out and got sponsors and got the kids to play youth hockey. Um, then, in the early in the late sixties, Larry Kish came aboard and started coaching Mount St. Charles and took Mount um, back to the top. Uh, in a couple of years, he was a, a graduate of uh, Providence College. He was an All American. So, in those two, three or four years that Larry was there, they won. You know three state championships. Uh, my dad was the junior high coach, and we'd work uh, hockey camps for Larry in the summer. Um, so he became rink manager in, in 1971, and that's when Larry had, had left. Um, uh, he left his diesel mechanic job that he was making twice as much money and took the job as rink manager only, um, not hockey coach, but rink manager. Um, so that was a, a big commitment on my mother's part to be able to let him live his dream of, yes, being a rink manager, but she knew that his love was hockey and he was going to stay involved with the youth programs there. And he did. He formulated the Rhode Island Kings, who you, who you know. That is what you see today. It's, it's AAA hockey. It was the first one in Rhode Island uh, with the Rhode Island Hockey AHA. They used to call out of the Cranston, so now we had two. He helped develop that. So now we have a city league for kids recreational, and now we have a travel team uh, that my father was involved in. So in the years between 1972, when my father was rink manager, to 1975, he became assistant coach first for Bernie Tobin, and then uh, last year with the, under Steve Shea. And then you see a progression of decline uh, once Larry left. Uh, my father just being the JV coach at the time. In 75, they made a, uh, after the 75 season, which I was on, I was a sophomore, and my dad was the assistant, but he was more the JV coach. Um, of course, biting his, biting his lip because we, we didn't have a very good season. We finished near the bottom. Um, and it was uh, Steve Shea, who was a fabulous coach. He was the girls' coach at Brown, as you know, um, came in and uh, tried to institute more of a, a European, he was such a fine skater, Steve. And in one year, it, it just didn't work. And we felt near the bottom. The Alumni Association at the time, at the end of the season, knew of Bill, uh, graduate, saw his things he was doing at the youth hockey level. Uh, his JV teams, while the varsity wasn't winning, his JV teams were burying everybody. Uh, matter of fact, when we used scrimmage the JVs, my dad's on one side, I'm on the other side with the varsity, and these. 
the games are pretty close. Um, so his reputation uh, became popular with the alumni. They decided in, after the season in 1975, you'd love this story. Uh, we meet, I'm on the team, and the alumni made, made the decision, but we didn't know it. Principal John Hebert at the time in 1970, that spring of 75, um, he brought all his players in that played the previous year that were coming back, and we took a vote. And, and the vote was, so my brother John, who was going to be a senior and I was going to be a junior, was um, we are thinking of hiring Bill Belisle. And we both looked at each other and said, oh, my God, it's just... Please, no. <laughs> you have no idea. <laughs> you know, this is just a part-time job for me skating. I don't want this full-time stuff. I've done enough of that youth hockey. So the vote went up, and it was a silent vote. It's a pretty funny story because we put our heads on the table, and everyone raised their hand. Um, and two people were looking at each other, my brother and I, in just the corner of our eye, and we didn't put our hands up. My hand went up at the last second because I didn't want my father to find out I didn't vote for him. <laughs> so the only person who didn't vote for him was my brother John, uh, John Belial. And after that, my dad became coach in the first season, 1975-76. My brother John's senior year was a junior. He took that, you know, that last place team and brought him into the semifinals. We lost a heartbreaker to LaSalle. My senior year, um, my dad took us uh, to... Uh, the Metropolitan A used to call that championship. We won the division champions. We lost another heartbreak in the finals in, in front of uh, 3,000 people. We used to play the home rings, third game at Mount St. Charles where they had to bring in the state police. There was so many people in it. We lost. Uh, and from 1978 until 2004, 26 straight championships. And... Uh, um, that's that's how it began for my father. So, so David, did I get this right that mm -hmm. you did not win a championship with him as a yes, player? Yes, and I heard that for twenty six <laughs> years because I was my dad's assistant for forty. Okay, and uh, when I came back, I played two years at Providence College uh, on the Lou, and I I got cut my uh, my junior year. Uh, they just tremendous tremendous team that ended up winning the hockey East in nineteen eighty one. Um, my biggest mom was playing against uh, Joey Mullen and on a couple shifts at BC and uh, flattened me, of course. But at the end, when I got cut, this is my dad, what he did for my life. When I got cut in 1980, uh, uh, mm -hmm. in 1980, when I got cut, um, I was thinking of transferring, but I said, no, I love Providence College. I did. I, I loved everything about it, especially the basketball team, big basketball fan. But I said, you know what, Dad? I I, I, I deserved it. They're just, you know, just the way it is. He says, I want you to come be my assistant. I just was there. And he said, no, I, I, you, I think you got it in you. So from 19, 1980 until, you know, 2019 when we retired, I was his assistant coach. Fam, so. Wow. And what, Peter, what about, you know, bat, you were, there's a significant age difference, right? But what do you remember about those early years and, and watching from afar, watching your brother as a player and then make that transition to, to, to assistant coach under your father? Yeah, it's incredible. I, I have a memory of when Dave lost and I was five years old at the time. So you, you kind of almost manufacture some of these memories in your head because you've seen it and heard the stories so many times. But I remember the you know Johnny bringing me back home because the rink was just such crazy, uh, and, and that was a marker in time. And I remember him, you know, getting his his, his first 
took skates at Providence College and just being so enamored with my brother David playing college and then my memories of them just winning. You know, that's all I ever saw was them win and being a manager. Uh, and then a marker in time is obviously we'll get into later, but Dad's accident in 83 where, you know, Dave had to take over for a while. Uh, that was a marker in time. And then, you know, I won a championship. I got cut twice by these guys and uh, was so proud to finally make it as a junior. And then the pressure of... To this day, I thank God every day that I won that 13th straight title and lucky 13 because <laughs> I was a wreck. I didn't want to break the streak for our family, for Coach, for Dave. And then when they broke 16 in a row, it was a national record. You know, all those markers, I just, I watched and then I was a part of and then I would continue to watch them win through my adult life and it was just a blur. Right. One thing I always remember being told of, about your dad is that when he took over, it was all he was all about skating. Mm. And through the years, Mount always had great skating mm -hmm. teams. Uh, what uh, What do you remember about that part of him? That the, the the importance. It seems obvious to say, well, yeah, of course it's about skating, but not everybody thought that way. What What do you remember about that part of it? Your dad's emphasis on that part of the game. Well, when he did take over, one of the first things he did, because I obviously was was the first thing he brought us, and I still remember it, and I remember it to this day, took us to center ice, hadn't even skated a stride yet, and, and the first thing he said was, you are no longer playing for the names on your back. You are going to play for that album in front from here on in. And the best skater on the ice was my dad. It's one thing, he was a fabulous skater. He played some semi-professionally in Worcester. He, and you hit it right in the nose. It was, the emphasis was on skating and passing. Skating and moving the puck. And uh, he is, he was way ahead of his times. He used to come up uh, with, with drills and he would write them down and then present them to us. That college coaches today, I know Peter, they'll have it all di diagrammed out, but he, he was way beyond, beyond his time. He would have one hour, we have two hours of ice. The first hour was, was all, all designated to skill. Skating, cutting, backwinds, you know, spin outs, uh, with and without the puck, you know. Uh, and he would, it, kids would be confused at the beginning, but by the end of that one hour, they were doing it to, to perfection. So, yes, you hit it right in the nose. The second hour was about, you know, the team concept, you know, whether it's forechecking, uh, whether it's power plays, short handed. So, for, for a two hours block, your first hour was designated to individual skill to improve yourself. He wanted his teams to be the best skating teams in the state, and obviously you saw that. Yeah, they were. And uh, having a two-hour block of ice time is, uh, is, a, is a luxury. It sure uh, is. Let's in your face own it. rink. In your face own it. rink. A lot of teams, forty you know, 45 minutes, that's it. Then you got to get off. Mm -hmm. Having that two, two hours every single day, what was, uh, what was that like for, uh, for you guys? Oh, as death. That's what it was like. I can tell you that right now. <laughs> Just, uh, you know, it was. Don't forget, he was a drill sergeant in the army too. So, I mean, uh, that came to fruition when uh, his he hit the ice. Uh, listen, he blew the whistle. You're moving, and you, you you don't blow the whistle. You're sitting, and that's basically how how it went. And f two hours is is uh, it goes by. You think it goes by fast, but if you're not having a good practice, it could be the, you know a nightmare. 
And afterwards, would be, come on with sock, and they would get about an hour, an hour and a half of ice. But Andy Branshot was the coach back then. He loved to practice at Cass Park because they had a rink over there. Well, my father loved that. When Andy would call and say, Bill, I'm not taking the ice today. You can have it. So a two-hour practice <laughs> would turn into a three-and-a-half-hour practice. Three-and-a-half hours now. Wow. And he, he kept you going. You know, yes, we, you know, you can take a few drinks here and there, but it was, that's just the way it was. You give him an extra sheet of ice, and he's going to take it, and he's going to make good use of it. Now, you mentioned what a great skater he was. Mm. How did, was that natural ability, or how did that come about that he was such a, such a standout skater? He started young. Uh, um, he started in the town of Manville, where he grew up, and, and where he, uh, where he lived his whole life in uh, Andy's Pond. He learned it from some of the uh, the adults who would go out and skate on the pond. He took his dad's skates, uh, who skated a little bit. There were three sizes, two four sizes, too big, fill them with newspaper. And every chance, you know, his mom and dad would let him skate. He'd walk up to the ponds and, and skate and skate and skate. That's where he learned. He learned the game on the ponds until he got to Mount St. Charles as a freshman um, back in uh, 1946. Uh, it was all ponds, and winters were colder then, and cold, longer. Yeah, <laughs> cold yeah. and longer. You know, <laughs> cold and, and and longer. So yeah. yeah. What's interesting? You both have decades of experience. You know, David, you you, you assisted your father. You said from 1980 until his retirement, and then Pete, you know, you've you've been along. You were you started. You know, Holy Cross, Connecticut as an assistant, and you've been with UMass, Boston, the Beacons. Uh, you know, I think since '06. Uh, so decades of experience coaching, how important is that discipline, that personal practice discipline that your father instilled in the way he did things in terms of how it molded you, but 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 also in how it molded those players that lived it and how, what they were able to do with their own careers after they you know, after they finished at Mount St. Charles? Yeah, it's easy. It was everything, really. You know what I mean? Uh, that's the biggest takeaway, you know, people always ask me, you know, what's the secret sauce to these guys, you know, doing what they did, and it was discipline, you know. It doesn't matter if it's the best player. They're not going to get away with it. And, you know, you know coaches, it, you, you bend. I, I try to be so much like them, but it's difficult, you know, to have that discipline no matter, you know, what. If you're not ready, you're on the ice, well, too bad, you're not practicing today. Or... It's happening again. You got to get dressed at center ice then, like on the ponds, you know. And if you don't like it, you can leave. The door's right there. And that attitude was very, very simple. And they stuck through that uh, in generations of time. It's incredible. He is his father's son. I can tell you that much. <laughs> uh, I'm very proud of uh, Peter. Uh, even though the 13 th- year gap, it was Peter who worked the summers with my dad's ho- hockey camp. Uh, and now Peter runs that camp still today, the Belial camp. So, and it's been going for at least twenty-five years. So Peter, Peter had a taste of his father in the summers, and that's all about the skill and about you know the repetition, and you're going to do it the right way, and it's going to you know everyone's going to pay attention. Uh, so Peter got a lot of his you know his coaching experience, not only playing for the three or four years uh, for his father, but it, he didn't miss a beat. He he became a very young coach very quickly, and I saw him develop um, as, as a coach. With those, no, those principles of my father, he demonstrated it. 
He was a very intense man, yes, and he brought it every single day to practice. I, I witnessed it. There was only two years I wasn't there with my father, and that was the two years I was at Providence. But he was very uh, consistent. He had a work ethic that was second to none. He was always motivated, very organized. I mean, he came in and he was prepared, and you better be prepared. You know, he wasn't, he was, he, you better be ready. You better be on time, and uh, you better bring it, because I'm here to bring it. And if, if you're not, this, you know, he would, and then one thing we haven't even mentioned was the outside uh, distractions. There was none. It was just him and his boys. You know, when he, one of the, one of the things he did was close those doors. And that didn't go well with the Brothers of the Sacred Heart because they would love to come watch uh, their teams, you know, practice. And he said, uh, said to the brothers, he said, listen, I have only one pet peeve. I, I don't want anyone in the rink when I'm coaching. It says you can come check if you want, but I can't have parents or anyone watching me coach. I want it to be in a classroom setting. NHL scouts, no. No, for a good story, you know, <laughs> Coach uh, Lou Nanny Lou coming Nanny, down yeah. to go see Brian in 19... 19- I was there. It was something that, first of all, he comes through the doors with Smokey, Smokey Cerrone, who was a scout, uh, uh, part-time scout for Minnesota, and uh, Brian was lighting up uh, um, the, the league, but I think he had made his, his point in the showcase in, uh, with the United States uh, Festival. So... Unbeknownst to my dad and I, um, Smokey walked into the arena. He got through the, uh, first of all, the attendants said, oh, where are you going, uh, Smokey? He says, this is, this is Lou Nanny. He says, and the guy said, ah, Bill's basically French-Canadian. Bill doesn't want anyone in there. I, he said, no, we can go in. So they opened the doors, and the one thing about the mount doors, they would squeak. That was my father's cue that someone's someone. I think he purposely didn't oil them because it went. Arr! Yeah, they were his early warning system, <laughs> oh, yeah. right? Make sure no one's getting was, in to see funny. the secret the whole sauce. Team would look. It was we were so paranoid because we didn't want any trouble that it. When we heard that noise, the whole team would go, "Oh no, who's here?" It's kind of like that. So the door opened, and I was standing closest to the doors at, at one particular net, working with the goalies and. It was Smokey, and I and I noticed, you know, he was with somebody as I came closer, and I noticed, I know Lou Nanny. I says, oh, my God. He says, David, guess, this is Lou Nanny. He's come, you know, to watch the practice. He's here to see Brian. And I said, hey, Mr. Nanny, nice to meet you. And as I'm saying that, I can hear the skates, and he could skate, and he is coming. I turn and say, oh, did, right away, I said, did you ask? Did you ask? He says, he comes in, he sprays, he says, Smokey, what's up? He says, you know, uh, I'm, this is Lou Nanny, Bill. He's come to see Brian. He says, no, he hasn't. He's not coming to see Brian. He says, but he's with the Minnesota North Stars. He flew all the way here from Minnesota. He says, he's not, we're not going to do anything. We'll just go watch the practice. I said, says, Smokey, you know my rules. I don't care who comes in this rink. You, Lou Nanny, or anybody else, you're going to get out. Bill, we came all this way. He says, listen. If you and Lou want to see Brian Lawton, that superstar over there, he says, you come Friday night, we get a game at 9 o'clock. Now get out. And they got out. He still got drafted number one. <laughs> Lou Nanny drafted him. And what number did he give him? Well, but he, maybe he that's didn't a story bend, for you know. I mean, the, the, only people, the only couple of people he did bend for after that was um, – he did it for Sean Walsh when Sean was going through his difficulties. Of, of uh, he let him in when he was having his cancer difficulty. And, and look, he he got five or six of his boys. And and the other one was uh, Bobby Orr, you know, uh, he, you know. But the reason why is Bobby Orr, the gentleman that he is, 
tremendous human being. Knew about the practices. Bill, I know your policy is don't have anyone at the practice, but I can't be in to see Jeff Gilson at this weekend's games. Would you mind? I'll hide his Bobby says absolutely because he called him ahead of time, you know. But how do you hide Bobby Orr? You don't hide Bobby <laughs> Orr. <laughs> you don't on. say no to number four. Right? <laughs> no, you don't because he's a he's he's a class act and he did it the right way. Um, and uh, those are just that just as the stickler of my of my dad. He just wanted to be with it. No distractions. But but the key is consistency, right? When you make rule, that's a pretty significant rule. So when you make a rule like that. The hard, it isn't hard to establish a rule or implement a rule like that. The key is in the enforcement, mm-hmm. and that that he showed everyone on the ice that day. Hey, I don't care who you are, mm-hmm. a rule is a rule. So if there was anybody, and I doubt there was, but I'm just going to say, if there was anyone on that ice as a player that doubted how serious your dad was, that was the end of that right That's then right. and there. That, that is so true, uh, so true. And he was, as you know, Peter, he was very fair. You know, with the way he treated his players, there was no favorites. Obviously, you you can maybe you can explain. He got Peter was a good hockey player, but he got cut his first two years trying out. Of, you know that would didn't go well with my mom, but that didn't matter. You know, it is what it is. You know, so he was very fair. I think that's the reason why he um, he got a lot of the respect from the players because you know what they knew then the dressing room that if you the best are playing. And right. there, there was no doubt in our minds. You're sitting, and you know who's going to get that white jersey, which is the first line, the red jersey, or the blue jersey, or the yellow. You knew just by the way uh, the practice was going. And he didn't miss a beat. He didn't miss a beat. He would take a white shirt on the first line, and he'd sit you right back to the blue. And that white shirt and that white face turned blue because of the fact that, you're kidding me. He said, no, put a blue on. So you better play. You want that, you earn it. So, well, so the winning starts right in the 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 eighties as as things go on. You guys are winning every every year, and at the same time, that uh, you know I would call that the gold the golden age of Rhode Island high school hockey. The eighties and the early nineties. The U.S. had won the gold medal at Lake Placid. Everyone was playing youth hockey. Mm-hmm. You guys raised the bar in, uh, you know, in the state of Rhode Island. There were other good teams. Hendrickson had great teams and great players, and uh, other schools did too. But you guys were at the top, and everyone was trying to knock you guys off. Uh, what was it? Lo- and and at the same time, all these Rhode Island kids are getting drafted by NHL teams, which was unheard of before that. Mm-hmm. What was uh, what was it like? You know, what was your dad's reaction when? Kids who went to Mount were starting to get drafted by NHL teams. You know, he's proud. You know, that's basically it. He focused on the season. He didn't focus on getting kids scholarships or, you know, scouts or kids or coaches coming to watch his kids play. I think that's the reason why he was so successful. You know, he left it up to the, you know, this is, these are my kids. This is my team. And if if they can benefit the teams that you are, you guys are coaching and one of these boys can so be it, so be it i think you you've made a right choice but he would not you know entertain or um you know when i say the word entertain is sure if they would call him he would certainly give them the credentials that were needed to, to, you know before they made a decision but at the time when this was going on he was so focused on his team and team play that 
as you as you know, you're only as good as the person on the side of you, or the five guys that you have on the ice with you. And he emphasized that. And that's what made these kids better, these D1s. So his play was moving the puck, the skating, um, that style of play just ignited uh, some of the talent that we blessed with. Uh, but my father had the ability to bring that individual talent, incorporate it into a team play, and just make scouts drool. That with the, I, I need these kids. So that that's... That's what you see. That's how it's, it's developed. It, it's it, his focus was his team, his kids. Put the kids out there to to play. You know his style. But play for play for your mouth. And you see the best players in the world. You see their passion for their team, and they just they they bring it because they want to win that hockey game. So it's it, that's 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 the benefit of co- playing for Coach Belisle. We didn't have social media. You know, we didn't have the internet when Brian Lawton was the first overall pick, but. You're talking about that he was the first ever American player chosen, number mm-hmm. one, and he came out of Little Mount St. Charles, right? And it, like going back, like, he, like he, it's hard to get your head around what that should have meant at the time because we just didn't have just the world didn't work that way. But can we talk a little bit about what maybe that led to or what how, how that happened, how that came together? What kind of a player was he, and and the the program that was able to 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 be that springboard for him? Well, Brian Lawton, I recall the first time I saw Brian Lawton, I was living in Connecticut at, at around that time, and, uh, you know, there was no social media or anything like that, but somebody pointed out to me, hey, there's a there's a all, New England All-Star game. It's one of those rinks uh, down uh, down near Bridgeport on a Sunday or a Saturday or whatever, and, you know, you got to go see this Lawton kid. So I went down there and, you know, Holy cow! Was this kid good? You know, it was. It was almost hard to believe that a kid that good could come out of Rhode Island high school hockey because that isn't something that that really happened at that time. But he was the he was the best player on the ice, and and you know he dominated that game. And sure enough, I don't know if it was the next year or or a few months later he was drafted first. It was amazing. It was a a landmark for uh, for Rhode Island hockey. And you know Bobby Carpenter had come, I think, before that. He a did. couple of years before that. He did. So, but he was third. He was third. Yeah, right, right. And you know, mass mass hockey was always on the map back then. Mm-hmm. Rhode Island, not so much. It's true. But then mm-hmm. Brian Brian comes, and he's just the first of. Uh, how did he end up there? How did, how did Brian Lawton end up at Mount St. Charles? Well, he grew up in Cumberland, mm-hmm. Cumberland. So proximity wise, uh, when Mount had you know. Five previous seasons, you know, won state championships and gotcha. uh, Mr. Mr. Lawton, knowing the reputation of the coach, uh, he did play some youth hockey in, in that building, coming in with some of these all-star teams. Um, so, yeah, that was he came first choice was Mount St. Charles. One thing about Brian, uh, he came in with all the credentials. He was so ta- so talented, but he worked he worked hard at it. He would he would uh, get rise in the morning. Uh, early in the morning, and um, my dad would open up the rink for him, and he'd go out on his own and shoot at least two or three times every morning. Greg Pratt, his his best best friend, used to be the captain of Northeastern um, back in the uh, in the eighties with him was his line mate. They'd come and they'd meet one coming from Coventry, the other one coming from Cumberland, and they and they'd work and they call Alan Perry from Cranston. So the three of them would they would constantly work at, work at their at their game. You know, and one thing about Brian, Brian had his, you know, his, his things that uh, my father had to correct. And one was, you know, 
Brian could do it alone, but he needed to move the puck. He needed to move the puck, and he had the ability to move the puck. That just elevated his game. Um, so he, you know, he was. You thought he was going to shoot it, he'd pass it. You, you know, you, you thought he was going to pass it, he, he'd shoot it. And, and you know, he would. He just uh, had that Gretzky type vision, where he saw the ice better than every, anybody else. So he. Yeah, he came. He came with the goods, but he worked. He worked at his art, and uh, he totally respected um, my father. My father was tough on him. My father was always toughest on his be- better players. You know what I mean? Because they knew that they they were they wanted more. You know, they may not have seen like they did, but they wanted more. And he that's how he he pushed them. Not good enough. He pushed them, and they they ended up being where they are because the the fact that he he pushed them to reach their you know that potential. You know, well, you look at what might have been back then uh, from a, a Providence College perspective. Uh, I believe Bobby Carpenter was going to go to Providence College before he got drafted high and, and took the money and turned pro, like anybody would. But uh, but Brian also was committed to Providence College, Lou Lamarillo, and uh, if you had had Bobby Carpenter and Brian Lawton. Paul Gay went there and scored a pile of goals, a Mount, a Mount alum. You put those three guys together on a Providence College team, who knows what, how far they would have gone? Absolutely. You yeah. know, that, uh, you know, I think they were in the Frozen Four in '84 or '85. But you put those those guys on the team, and uh, they go from you know finishing second or third maybe to, you know, maybe winning one of those no years. Question. You know, uh, and like you said, that was the golden era of hockey between you know Boston College with Janney and 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 Hodge and the, those great BC teams and PC with, with the Terreri and their their cast of character. You had you had those those three guys, and yeah, it would have made him. He also had an opportunity to go to the Olympics. So when he signed his contract, um, which you know uh, the the Lawtons. You know, made the decision, you know, based on the agent that was provided them, and that was the same agent as Wayne Gretzky. So, I think, I think Brian was very young when he signed. He was only seventeen years old, and he went into the National Hockey. Now, don't forget too. I forgot to mention this. Back in Brian's uh, uh, junior year, uh, there was no hitting in the offensive zone at Rhode Island Hockey. So, think about that for a second. So, you know. So you have a young boy, he got drafted number one, no hitting in the offensive zone. Now he's going to go play professional hockey, one of the very few Americans playing the game, and, and really with an influx, it's all Canadians. So, you know, mentally, it's, you know, he, he was good, but he wasn't, body wasn't ready for the National Hockey League. Uh, he, he was the only American, and the agent asked for number 98 in his back. So if that's not a target, <laughs> um, then what is? So, you know, I think there's a little misguided... Uh, direction there uh, on the poor young boys. Uh, I think he, if if he would have went to Providence College or played in the Olympics and had those couple more years to get his body, uh, you know, because he was still growing, he was very thin. I think if he if, if he went to Providence College or played in the Olympics, um, you know, I think you know Brian probably and he'd be the first one to say it. I think he would have lasted a lot longer in the National Hockey League. I really do. Peter, what was your what were your thoughts on some of the players? You know, not maybe not necessarily you know Brian, but some of the the players that you were around as a younger you know because you were younger at the time. And yeah, no, I mean <clears> you you think of you know Brian Lawton ten years you know fast forward getting into my era before that you had Matt Schneider you know right. 
and I've heard the stories of Brian. I remember skating in the in the mornings, you know, with Brian, you know, and then Matt Schneider came along, and you know, Matt had that hunger of, you know, there's a reason why these guys go to the, to the NHL. But my father gave him the tools. David gave him the tools, the resources to to get there, and they wanted it. And I remember, you know, we'd skate in the summer, you know, all day before the summer league, and my father would say, well, Matt Schneider's skating today, Peter. What are you going to do? I was like, geez, I kind of wanted to ride my bike outside, but I guess I'm going to go skating in the summer. You know, and, but, we, you know, we'd had fun. I'd skate all day, and, you know, I, I didn't realize I was skating with a guy who would win a Stanley Cup for the Montreal Canadiens, you know, that kind of blows your mind. And then, you know, I was a little older than Brian Burrard and Bush and friendly with them. Um, but it's funny, we're talking about my dad was never a, a promoter of his players. I mean, if anything, I remember stories when I played with Trevor Hansen, and this is in the, the 90s, and, you know, he'd come out and he'd rip the radio out of it, you know. Hey, I just got a call from Mike McShane at Providence, Trevor. I told him you stunk today, by the way. <laughs> And we'd all be like, wow, I guess he's not going to Providence, huh? And uh, he ended up going to Providence. But, you know, that I think the coaches respected that. And I remember Larry O'Donnell saying to, you know, geez, I can never get a hold of Coach Belial. Well, you, you got to call him between 11 and midnight, and he'll pick up the phone at the rink. And then the college coaches would start to do that. And I think he got friendly with Sean Walsh. Mm-hmm. Um and if you caught him, you know, on a, a good day, you know, he, he'd, he'd really have a great conversation. I'm sure I was never privy to any of those conversations. But that well, Sean had a, a group of uh, maybe half a dozen Rhode Island mm-hmm. Mount kids mm-hmm. in, the, in the mid to late 80s, the Capuano. Five guys in the Five same guys. team. Campio, yeah. Capuano, Snow, yeah. Carney. So it's easy to see where Sean Carney. would say, Two Carney, two Keith Carneys back then. Yeah, one another. <laughs> they NHL. both got drafted, but uh, it's easy to see where Sean Walsh would say, "Hey, we, this guy, this guy's got something going there. I, I gotta, I gotta, you know, keep watching that, you know." But uh, you know, Matthew Schneider, you mentioned, and uh, you know, I, I've heard the stories about Sam Schneider, his father, one of the all-time hockey dads, for better or worse, uh, you know. Uh, mostly better, I think. But um, talk about him, uh, the, the Matthew and and uh, and his brother moving to Woonsocket just so the boys could play at, at Mount St. Charles because that's incredible. I, I got this one. Yeah, Dave. you do got this one. <laughs> it, you know, I was best friends with J.A. You know, uh, and J.A. tells a funny st- story. You know, Sam would drop J.A. and I off at Wieners, and he'd take Matt to go work out and and skate, but. Sam was incredible. He's one of the few people, parents, that kind of got close to dad, you know, and he, you know, he wanted so much for his son, and he did move, you know, his his family here to Mount in that little apartment right outside the school where I stayed over. This thing was the tiniest place, and he, he, he brought his two boys there to play for for dad, and he certainly didn't break that in any way, if anything. I mean, I don't know how he kept going, coming back to the rink and trying to keep talking to him, but Dad loved him, and uh, they had a great relationship. And I remember the day I was playing street hockey with Matt and J.A., and uh, 
Mr. Schneider told my dad that he was going to go to the OHL his senior year, and my father was like, all right, you know, I understand. It was probably a good move. And But it, prior to that, he made him play forward, I think. Oh, yeah, he and, did. and I'm sure Mr. Schneider wasn't very happy. No, he was not that. happy. He says he's playing forward. But he's he too didn't slow. care. You know what I mean? Uh, he, he, he didn't care. But uh, And if I'm not mistaken, Matt played maybe three quarters of a season in the OHL, and then he was in the NHL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it. To go from Rhode Island high school hockey or any high school hockey at that point to the NHL in like less than a year, who I mean, who did that? Yeah, he was <laughs> nobody. The, yeah, he started playing uh, for the Canadians. Uh, just turned twenty years old. I mean, if he wasn't, if if not nineteen, 19. When he was still was still one of the youngest Montreal Canadians ever put a uniform on, and uh, it was Matthew Schneider. So. Amazing, amazing, yeah, definitely amazing. You know those two bo- those two men now, and they are such men. Uh, at the, at the wake and the funeral, if there were two people that were really, really upset by this and nothing but respect for my father, they were there. They were there the the entire, in the wake to the funeral. Uh, anything we can do for you, you know, David and the family, uh, you know that. Uh, they're just, they're so appreciative and they've always stayed in touch with my dad um, and my dad loved it for that for that fact. They had an incredible relationship with my father, both of them. And, uh, you know, they... Matthew gave his first stick uh, to my to my dad. Invited him up to Vermont when they won the Stanley Cup with my mom um, and and Brian. Brian has is nothing but accolades and always always. Uh, Brian was there for my dad's last coaching game. Flew in especially to see him coach his last game, and that was that was special for my father. New England Hockey Journal's Rinkwise podcast will return after this message. Catch the Sacred Heart University Pioneers on the ice this season. The Pioneers Division I men and women's hockey programs will not disappoint. Season ticket packages and individual tickets are on sale now at sacredheartpioneers.com. And opening in 2023, Sacred Heart University's Martiri Family Arena, a brand new 122,000 square foot premier skating facility in Fairfield, Connecticut. Learn more at sacredheartpioneers.com. Are you serious about playing your sport in college? Do you need a flexible education that allows you to maintain your practice and competition schedules while also preparing you to succeed at the next level? You should check out the University of Nebraska High School. UNHS is accredited and offers more than 100 online courses, including NCAA-approved courses to protect your academic eligibility. Students could earn a UNHS diploma or take a single course for transfer credit. Courses are college prep, self-paced, and available 24-7, 365. Enroll anytime and take up to a year to complete a course. Visit highschool.nebraska.edu today. Do you want to skate fast? For 50 years, Laura Stam instructors have taught youth players to pros how to skate correctly, powerfully, and fast. Players who attend Laura Stam power skating programs learn how to skate fast by learning how to execute every maneuver in hockey. They become powerful, stable, efficient, and explosively fast skaters. If you can't wait for a clinic, join our subscription skills video service and we'll show you the skills taught at our clinics in an easy-to-use video format with training plans to guide your training. Register or subscribe now at laurastam.com. That's L-A-U-R-A-S-T-A-M-M dot com. You can learn to skate fast.
It almost could have gone very different, mm-hmm. right? Yes. Let's talk about what happened, you know, and, and Mark alluded to it earlier, but, you know, just the, the accident, you know, what happened and, and the injury and, and mm. what what might, how might history have been different? But again, I think it's another story of perseverance on the part of your dad. To, it sure is, you know. and uh, both of us uh, can attest to it because be, Peter being um, probably at the time, what, 10 years old? Like, yes, February break. I'll never forget it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh-huh. So he's at the practice because he's the team manager, and I'm working. I came for the second half of the practice every single day. Um, so he had a s- serious fall. A boy came and took his feet from – my dad didn't wear a helmet back then. He was just controlling scrimmages, looking, and didn't see the boy coming. Instead of the boy running into him, he ducked under him and clipped his head and his – Clipped his feet and his head hit the hit the ice. I mean, just straight on. Um, from the description of Tony Cerisi, who was his assistant coach, so and there was blood instantly. Uh, terrible, terrible scene. So, Tony Cerisi, God bless you, um, sa- really saved his life. He told the boys to the first thing was call nine one one. Told one of the boys run in. Because there's a phone in the office, call nine one one with socket. And then, second thing he did was he told the boys go get your jackets and says and take Peter in that dressing room because Peter was right on the bench in that dressing room. They came out with the coats. He my so keep my uh, my father warm. He did that. Um, and then uh, with socket uh, came took him to the hospital. I flew a hundred miles an hour to the hospital. They. The uh, doctor, who was Dr. Gay, was with the, the surgeon and says, we have to transport him. He's he's dying, and we're going to have to give him his last rites uh, now, but we don't know if he's going to make it. And I'm looking, going, I'm looking at my little brother. I'm looking at two of his captains with the little brother, and I'm saying, oh, you know, this this is it. So he was in the Rattling Hospital for a few days in an induced coma. He came out of it remarkably. Um, and then the rehab began. You know, he, this, I had to take the team in 83 to, in the, the playoffs. And I'll tell you one thing uh, about the playoffs. I had two regular season games, then it was playoffs. So here I am. I'm do, coaching with my dad for four years. And all I did was really open the door because that guy was just, uh, you know. <laughs> he Actually, he threw me off the bench once in the middle of a game because of a too many men in the ice. He says, get out. You don't want to do it? Get out. And, and you just, were about 23 at the time, right? I was, uh, yeah. I was, yeah. I started when I was 20. I was 23. You know, I thought I was doing a good job. I, was, you know, I, I played with half these guys a couple of years previous. But, right. you know, I was more, I was JV coach and I was more the, you know, the encourager. And just uh, as far as who's playing and who's not playing, I haven't, I'm not touching it, you know. But now, all of a sudden, he was, he did everything. I, I'm in charge, you know. And I said to Tony, oh, my God. He says, well, it should be. To be all right. We got a great team. We haven't lost a game. So we go into the playoffs, and now my dad had finally come home. You know, he was in terrible shape, but he did get him home. So we're playing we're playing Barville. We're first and they're eighth. And we come back and we tie. We tie Barville. This is my first game coaching. I tie Barville. So I gotta go home and tell my dad, but I'm thinking, all right, there's no way he's gonna he's you know, he doesn't have any memory right now. He hasn't even spoken, you know. So he came in and he said, hey, Dad, we, you know, how are you doing? He said, you, and he said, you know, uh, 
you play tonight? He said, yeah, we played. We said, how'd you do? He said, we, uh, we tied. Oh, okay, who, who did you tie? You know, just slowly to the Burrowville. And about three seconds went by, and he looked at me, and all of a sudden the first reaction, that Belial reaction, Barova? I said, yeah, that we tied Barova. He said, oh, okay. Then I said, oh, my God. So I went back to the rink the next day, and I turned into a coach. I said, it's not about the team that you have, you know. You got a coach. You just can't throw him out there. So for for that rest of that playoffs, I tried my best to be my father. And I was tough, and I was mean. I thought you had to be mean, and, and I was getting respect. And we did end up winning. And uh, the, the, two, the season afterward was, was the season, 1984, that was the most difficult uh, season for the family, for myself, uh, for Coach. Um, he had lost his sense of smell. His memory um, was was minimal. He can only remember uh, the past, nothing about the present. He had to write everything down. Uh, we had to teach him. How, I had to teach him how to coach, get those coaching skills back. He had to relearn how to skate. Dr. Mm-hmm. Gay taught him back how to skate. This is how serious it was. And he did this in less than two years. But the strain on the family, because he would have emotional the minute he'd be, talk, he'd be talking to his team and just, I can't do this, and just walk out. And I would be left with, you're right. yeah, you're right, coach. You can't do this because you're not listening. You know, just try to, mm-hmm. you know, I would, that's how I became, you know, like my father. You know, I was, you know, I was running the team like my father. But at the same time, I, I want this man to get back to what he was. You know, this, this is what he needs to live. Next year in in eighty uh, in eighty five he was better eighty six he he was coming on you know we had a great team but he was coming on I knew he was coming on when he benched David Capuano in the championship game against Hendrickson with the score tied one one and I'm trying to throw him out there and he's looking at me don't you put him out there he's sitting down so he did he sat the whole period he went out in the third period and scored three goals and we won four to one but that's when I knew that my dad was back but it took two long years and people don't realize that that the you know my mother at home was dealing with the two and the family was dealing with it he had no confidence in himself and uh and he had no confidence in his in his coaching but it took two full full years so i turned into my father um until he was ready to go and then basically from then on we became uh, i was better for it i became a much better coach he was back and we just took off well in the, those years uh, after that you know going into the the late 80s uh, you know some just some unbelievable uh playoff series in those years involving mount and uh and Hendrickson. uh was it 88 was it 88 the yes. one where it was supposed to be a three-game series mm-hmm. but they they the games would be tied, and they'd go to overtime, and they'd play, and they'd play, and they'd play, and no one would score. So they'd say, "Okay, we'll we'll play a we'll play another game. We'll start from zero the next time." And this went on what twice, three yes. times. We went, we, went, uh, we played five games. We ended five up games on a Saturday. Yep, mm-hmm. played five games. And Hendrickson had, you know, David Emma. That was the year before. They had good. They had good row. We shouldn't have won. Yeah, we shouldn't have won the year before. Robbie Goodrow. Yeah, we beat Hendrickson, and David was, you know, probably the best hockey player that 
we've ever coached against besides Timmy Ami. I mean, David Emma was just unbelievable, and they were stacked, and we beat them in 87. 88, they were still loaded. They had King and Goodrow. Steve and, King, oh, Goodrow. Loaded. Yeah. And they, we were, they were maybe a notch better than us, but pretty even that, that year, you know? Well, I, I mentioned this to Kirk, uh, you know, shortly after your, your dad uh, passed, that one of the things that stuck out to me over the years was the years when a lot of times Mount had the best team, had the best talent, but not every year. There, But there were years where Mount won anyway because of the, f- the force of your dad's personality. Mm-hmm. His Absolutely. will made it happen. Th- those kids would do anything for mm-hmm. your dad, and they'd, uh, they'd reach down as deep as, as deep as it took to get it done. Absolutely. You know, and that, uh, I mean, that says... That says so much about a coach and a man that he can inspire kids to uh, to react that way. Yeah, he was on one of those teams. Nineteen ninety was 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 a was a good was a, t- a tough year for Mount Saint Mount Saint Charles, LaSalle, Hendrick, and we were all pretty close. And the difference maker was Bill Belisle. I think he can attest he can attest to that. I mean, the fortitude. And then ninety one, right after that. Yeah, no question. I mean, I think we had lost the toll gate, lost to LaSalle, lost to Hendrickson in that year, and we had one of those games that was a no contest in the semis with, um, you know, Hendrickson. And it was all their will. You know, it's interesting when Dave talks about, you know, we talk about pre-accident Bill Belisle and then post-accident Bill Belisle and how their coaching dynamic changed, right? And now... You know, everybody hated Bill Belisle, and you know they loved him and respected him, but they hated him, right? And David was that, you know, like you know, hey, why am I not playing? Oh, it's all right, you know, you just keep doing what you're doing. You had that nice kind of in the background, and it was neat, you know. And again, I would, I would come back and and just see the finish every year of them, because uh, my teams would lose and they'd still be playing. So I'd see the finish and how they got there and how they would do it again with that consistency. And um, it, it was just, it, it, it was incredible. And what I wanted to get at was their roles transformed. And, and at, the, at the end, Dave, and in the middle, Dave had to be that tough disciplinarian. And Dad turned into that, that grandparent that everybody loved, and he would nurture him. And it was just incredible. And I said this at the, it's an incredible story when you have at a religious school and you have a father and a son. And I believe it because I'm, we're brought up that way. But the spirit of Bill Belisle is what is going to transcend forever. And it's in Matt mm. Plant and the coaching staff now. Sure it's is. just an incredible story and that a father and son team take hockey and at a religious school, you know, with the spirit of the do it the right way and, you know, ask for everything and give you everything i'm going to give everything of myself but you're going to give it back to me and that's it and if you don't respect that on both sides you know where the door is don't let it hit you and you know what and that was their motto you know and uh it's just an incredible story i hope they do a book and a movie uh i know they've already done a few but i think they need to do more i couldn't agree more and i think it goes back to what we talked about earlier discipline it's consistency. Players need to know where they stand, and they need to know what the standards are. And if you can communicate that, and you're fair, and you said that earlier, you know, hard but fair, 
no coach wants or no player wants to be coddled. They want to be challenged. They're, they're, most players that are where they are at high levels of hockey, and it's really true for any sport, they're there because they are high achievers and they want to be pushed. But the key is the person that can push them but is consistent in the application of communicating the standard and then holding you accountable when you fall short, right? And you either pull you, you everyone pulls everyone up or we're not. And I think that's the genius of, of Bill Belial and David Belial and how you were able to do that. Because I think if we ran back the, you know, put, turn back the hands of time, I don't know that this, this is never going to be done again. It just can't, it can't be done. What, what you and your father accomplished, what you all accomplished, the Mount St. Charles family, it will never happen again. But why did it happen? It wasn't by accident. No. And that it, it starts with that. No, well spoken by uh, Peter and y- and yourself. You know, it's it it started it started with him and what he what he had a proud foundation where he came from, and you know he believed in his school, he believed in, in, in his team, and it's it's us against them. You know, it's not, and I need every one of you because we're not doing this alone. It's kind of like that army mentality. You know, don't leave anyone behind. You know, let's right. let's do it. You know, let's do it for our country. Let's do it for our team. So he's been blessed with such, you know, such gift of education and experiences that guided him throughout his life and obviously that that being, the, you know, the spirit of Jesus Christ. Um, I truly believe that, but he, he's been, you hit it right in the nose, he's been so consistent, and one thing we haven't mentioned is he's, at the you know, at the end of a good game or uh, a good shift, he would give a high five or a hip hip hooray, you know, and that feeling of a hip hip hooray or a compliment or a, a look like, yes, you know, that just gave you a blood rush, you know, mm. it's kind of like... Yeah, I want more. So as tough as he was, and boy, he was right there for you when you did something right. You know, that that thumbs up, boy, that just gave you everything to give you more juice. So the years go on. The the titles or the championships are piling up. And, uh, you know, before long, the Mount people, of course, were in their glory. But everyone else in the state is rooting for you guys to lose. Mm -hmm. They're like... You know, come on. Somebody beat these. We're sick of this. We're sick of this. Mm-hmm. Every year it's Mount. You know, somebody else win. Yep. How did you handle that from the from the inside, knowing that the whole state is rooting against you except the Mount people? It's I mean it's 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 a great it's the greatest feeling in the I think it's the greatest <laughs> feeling in the world. I mean you can ask any professional athlete. I mean if they're getting booed and you you're somebody good, I mean that just, you know, that just gives them a, a rush and I think the same thing applied to to us. I mean it's just like, you know, let's let's go do it. You know, we got we got people who are want to they want to beat us and they can't, but let's just keep coming. <laughs> let's just keep coming. You know, I get the one of the biggest compliments uh, uh, and, and sympathy things. Like I got a call from uh, Michael Gaffney uh, when my dad passed, and he was trying to reach me and trying to reach me. And uh, you know, he he said, "David, I just want to let you know I'm, I'm just so sorry." And Michael and you know myself, uh, we were just competitive. But there's not a lot to be a lot to be said because you know he he worked the same way as my dad. You know, he got everything out of his teams. And uh, he says, "I just have to give you you know your father was the best." You know, and I. He made me a better coach. I just want to let you know that. He pushed me because I wanted to beat him so bad that, but I didn't know what was going on in that rink down there and that, you know, that cage over there. He says, but I, I saw the results and I, he just pushed me. And we had a really nice conversation. It, and it's nice to hear from someone who was, you know, who during the combat, you know, we'd 
really didn't like each other. You know, we, we battled each other and we had great great games. But in the end, uh, uh, when you look at all the experience, it's it's just like the great Henry teams, Henrykin teams, and the LaSalle teams we played. They made us better. If you don't have somebody on the other side competing against you, you're not going to get better. So the coaches that were, we we coached against and the, the players and the teams that we played against just made us made us that much better. And uh, that's what kept the tradition going because you need somebody on the other side that's that's going to bring out the best in you. And, um, you know, they did. They did. I compliment all of them for the teams that we played and gave us uh, the tussles that we had and made us a better team. And remember, uh, Mr. Sheehan saying um, you wanted to be the one to knock Mount off the hill. You know what I mean? So I think if you were somebody else, you know, you – you wanted to be there, though, you know, and Tollgate was in the end. Well, when it finally did end and Tollgate uh, won, uh, you know, I was struck at the time by how gracious your dad was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it. it uh, let's face it, not everyone would react that way. And I was there, Mark. That was one of the best speeches that I've ever seen Dave Palau give, okay? Like every other state championship, the president of the school, the brother would come in, we'd say, and our father, and a Hail Mary, and then they would start celebrating. This time David spoke, and the way he spoke to these men, and my father was, you know, he was great out there, he was so gracious, and but that took so much. was the pressure of 26 years. No question. I mean, I felt that pressure every year. I mean, it was like, oh, I mean, the, the pressure, think about that. On the kids, on the on these two guys and our family, you felt that every year, you know? And what's going to happen when it does happen? And it happened. And to see Dave speak, and I remember him saying, you know, Pete Belisle got the bounces. Paul Gay was in the room. Different alumni would come in. These guys got the bounces. Tonight, you guys didn't get the bounces. You did everything you could. It wasn't meant to be. And the kids were just, but they hugged, and then we were able to get Dad back, and we had just put some water on his face. And he, they were so proud of those kids. It was like that. It was a win. And, I mean, I know it's hard for those guys, you know what I mean? But looking back, it was incredible. Uh, it, it had to happen. I yeah. think that was yeah. my uh, my proudest moment of any of all the hockey teams that I, that I coached. Um, just the way those boys graciously stood on that on that on that blue line and clapped for the other team and when the when the game ended um and I knew it was going to end cuz I I looked right at Tollgate and the kids and I smiled and I said you know what you know god bless them you know they did something that was remarkable and I was I was happy for them you know, I was sad for my team, but I was proud of my team. I was very proud. They gave everything they had, but the better team won. And they, you know, they beat us. They beat us fair and square. And uh, I was happy for them. I really was. It was a moment where I said, oh, my, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't as disappointed as people thought or my father was. And I think we both had the same feel. We both looked over and said, wow, that's good stuff. You know what I mean? You know what that story reminds me of uh, here in when, I think it was in the, the Do You Believe in Miracles uh, documentary. Mm-hmm. And they were talking about the Russian hockey team's reaction when the miracle on ice happened. And they were talking about how the Russians were, players were just kind of watching the Americans celebrating. 
and they just had these curious, like they were kind of smiling, kind of like, oh, you know, because they had forgotten. And I'm not saying you didn't, you forgot, but like they had won so much that they were watching this reaction of another team and 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 maybe yeah. living vicariously through yeah. that. Yeah, well, you know. well put. You know, I definitely, definitely well put. That's the feeling that I had. You know, it was, it was. It was He's not saying it's good, but you know what? Look at them. There they are just jumping for joy, you know. And and I looked up, and then I went straight to our team, you know. But my team was ready. They, you know, I didn't I didn't prepare them for this. Who prepares for losing the championship, especially your seniors, you know? Uh, you know, Nicholas Gilson, our, our captain, and, you know, he's seen, he won three years. He played since a freshman. He saw his brother win, win three, and now it's his, he's the captain of his of his senior year. But he handled it with such grace, and, and every one of our, our players did, you know, just look, and, you know, they wanted to win just as bad. But that was, that was a proud moment, you know, proud for the state of Rhode Island, the way it was all handled. You know, we got beat by a better team. And Mount St. Charles, you know, in order to be a champion, you're going to know how to lose. And uh, we... You know, and I said, "All right, the pressure's off me. I'm not the last captain to lose the state championship." <laughs> <laughs> I made a funny to uh, to Nicholas. Says Nicholas, "Welcome to the club." He says, "Now it's you and me. So we gotta hope. You gotta hope that yours your string doesn't go as long as mine." <laughs> well, the uh, one tradition that started, and I don't know when it started, uh, teams would lose uh, to Mount, and your dad would be on the bench, and the team. Would go through the handshake line with the with the Mount players, and then they'd circle over to the bench and shake your dad's hand. Do you remember when that started? I've never seen that in uh, on a consistent basis year after year after year in in hockey. Do you remember when that started? I think it's I I truly think it started uh, after the uh, the game five of uh, the Henrikson series. You know, my I think my father was we were relieved, but he was out there trying to get everybody's attention congratulate both sides you know and he, and he wanted it to uh, so i think it, i think if, i believe if uh, if my my mind uh, recollection is i think it started it started then and then you you saw the process uh, continually going on and on and on so you know that 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 is unusual it is very it's unusual. extraordinary it's extraordinary so it for him i think dave it was just he didn't want to go on the ice without a helmet after that yeah and it was just awesome that you mm-hmm. know, he'd wave, and the kids started to come to That's him. That's a good point. Yeah, you know what I mean. He was, he was, you know, and he, ever since that accident, he wore a helmet on the ice, and even in, in his boots. That he yeah, he never walked on the ice to accept the award unless it was a cop. Or I have to come and get him. So he couldn't get in the line like all the coaches do and shake hands. So he would wait, and it started with just the coaches coming over. And but then I think after, after that series. You know, credit credit to one of the Hendrickson boys. I don't know who it was, but he came over. Then another boy came over, and they, he started hugging all of them. And then they all came over, and then it, it became a, a ritual, you know, because we played Hendrickson so much, uh, and we beat him so much. They started they started coming, but that's that's well documented. It was it was about he couldn't go through the line and shake hands on the ice because he was fear of of falling uh, falling again. So they came to him, and they that- came to him. That brings the, me back to the one we were talking about before we started recording, and that was the one thing that really stood out to me, much more than the over a thousand career victories. Because man, I don't know how you ever <laughs> going to top that. Uh, but it was how the his former players talked about the men he made them into. You know the lessons of Bill Belisle, the coach. 
transcended the hockey and that they're better fathers, they're better men, they're better in whatever their chosen profession is because of the lessons they learned. And that mm-hmm. the other players coming in, you can't help but think they wanted a little piece of that Belial magic too, you know, yeah. and that was just the, the, a simple way. But can you talk about what that means to you and your family to know that he he impacted these so many of these individuals and they look back and they say, you know what? They could be the best hockey players in the world, but what does it mean when they say, I'm a better man today because of your father? I know Dave got a thousand more texts than I did, but, the, you know, from all the texts and the phone calls, the, the resonating thing was that kind of compete at whatever you're doing. All right, and get yourself up. Somebody pushes you down, you get yourself up, you pick yourself up, and taught us how to compete and to be proud of what we're doing, whatever it is. The minute you walk into the rink, the minute you walk into that classroom, are you proud of that work? And I think that is something that resonated with me, you know, from all the influxes of things that we've gotten. I think that's what Dad taught us, was just... uh, compete or whatever you're doing make sure if you're gonna do it that's what dad did you're gonna do it full 120 percent and you know and you look back you know are you proud of it yeah i I think uh you hit it right on the nose and it was everybody you know i know you mentioned at the beginning of the telecast we not only the hockey players who, who went on to have professional careers, but m- most of the texts and the emails that I've been getting are from, from you know, graduates that played for my dad. But they, they were fourth liners. They barely even played a shift. But he made them feel special because he, he, they were part of the team and they felt that, you know, they were just as good or just as important as the, as the best player that was playing for them. But they all had, you know, a touch of Bill Isles. What's his magic? He was he was motivating. Yes, he was organized. You know, you had to bring it every single day. You know, outside distractions shouldn't affect your performance. Put them behind you. And I think as you get a little older, and I found out firsthand because the first years I was coaching um, with him, I didn't realize that the lessons he was learning. You know, you just you know, I want to win, 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 win. But when he gets hurt, and then you realize, wait a minute. There's a process to developing these young kids. It's just not names on paper. You got to develop not only their skill, but their mentally. You got to make them mentally tough. They're going to have situations where they think this is tough. Wait till they get out into the real world, because now I was experiencing the real world. So, I think what these boys are finding out is three, four, five, six years later, as they're beginning their business careers and you know they want to you know want to take a lazy day off or or play a golf or you know what i don't want this job but but then they say wait a minute if i really if i really want to do something you know i got to get back to you know i got to work hard you know i got to be there on time you know i've got to i got to compete because someone's going to take my job or my sale or whatever it may be you know or take my spot on the roster whatever you are i think they they encapsulated what they you know, what he taught them, and they put it into their lives, you know what I mean? They've all been blessed with, you know, good good families, some, some, most of them, some of them not. But what he did is he emulated all those good qualities that you need to be a good human being, you know, you, you know, you, you got to be respectful, you know, respect the game, respect your, the you know, the organization you're with, that's number one. Respect 
the person or the company you're competing against because if you don't you're going to find yourself behind eight ball you always respect the referees always respected the other team and you're going to give 110 because if not they're going to be on the, across the ice or in the working wall they're going to beat you you know you're not going to be satisfied with you know a 75 percent effort you're not going to reach your potential in the same same way with your family if you don't give and you're not there for them every single day you're going to lose out you know something's good something that you don't want to happen is going to happen so he was always hands-on you know and he was always focused he was always committed and i think the commitment part that you had started the show with you know bill belisle's commitment is what he taught you know his players you know whatever you do you know from here on in you know commit yourself boy you're going to feel good about yourself. And if I can add, that, that that tough love that, you know, is there. And I think one of the one of the messages we got and about Dad that really touched us was from a waitress. Um, she mentioned how Dad and Mom would go to the same restaurant religiously after church every Sunday. And she was so impressed with this, you know, this couple. Um, never knew that it was my father. Uh, until somebody told her, and it was just like, that's the tough coach that I hear about. Um, so that love, I think, that he coached with, what they coached with, y- y- you know, it could turn tough, but it could turn very sweet and soft, too. So I think that's a, mm-hmm. a, a something I want to yeah. get across about Dad, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The MVP, your mom. Let's Unbelievable. Talk, let's talk saint. About that. <laughs> saint, right? Because, saint, yeah, Saint. Because saint really, you, you touched it. I think you, you said it, David, mm-hmm. earlier. When you said if she hadn't supported his dream, mm-hmm. maybe none of this happens. No, it doesn't. Absolutely, happen. <laughs> but there's no question. There's absolutely no question you about that. You can't do that without her. She didn't go to a single game ever. <laughs> just prayed just at my home senior year was for it. Dad yeah. and me. And Never. Me. She would pray though. Yep. She just <laughs> sit at home. Rosary during that the was games. her job. Do the rosary during the games, you know, and come back. You know, I, she must have thought it was working because all they did was win. But I think the fact that uh, if you have that relationship of love, you know, and don't and don't forget that, you know, he spent hours at that arena, hours. Until we were just mentioning he wouldn't come home till one o'clock in the morning because from from ten o'clock to one o'clock he's in his office. After this is after his injury, writing things down for the next day because he wanted to get it down on paper because that's the only way he would remember get it down on paper so that's the time when he would do his his drill setups and his managerial like uh, his accounting work from the time after practice but in between then he would go home spend his time with his wife my mom sundays was a day of rest with his with his wife and his family every sunday no practice I tried to sneak in one practice and it just didn't. It just didn't work on a Sunday. I, I still remember that day. I, that was it. That my father said, "Don't your mother's going to find out." And it, I'm, I'm done. So I'm done. Sunday, church, family time. Um, when we were younger, go visit both grandmothers. But in, in in as we moved on, go see the grandkids. It's about the family. Sunday, no hockey, not even a thought about hockey. Um, and uh, he would go eat with, uh, go to church every day with my mother, and go to breakfast at this place that he was talking about with my mother. So there was a good balance there. They loved each other. I mean, they met when they were 19 years old, but back then, uh, the the 
marriage was a, it was a sacred it was a sacrament that you followed, and I'm sure they had their difficulties, but we never saw it as a as a family, and never, consistency never. though, right? Consistency. consistency. He said, "I'll give you Sunday. Mm-hmm. You give me every other day. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty good deal for Coach Belial, yeah. I think. But he consistency, yeah. right? Yeah, his truck went from okay, it go it would go to church, <laughs> it go to Poppy's restaurant, Mount Saint Charles." For you know, or a different restaurant. It wasn't open back then. But those are three places that he did consistently his whole coaching life. You know, it was church, it was it was family, and it was Mount Saint Mount Saint Charles. And he didn't go have to go too far to do it. And uh, and that's that's what I feel good about about my father. He he lived his dream. You know, he lived his dream, and he lived it to perfection. It uh, it continues in the the lives and the memories of the players that uh, that played for him, and you know even now, now you turn on the TV, you turn on the NHL Network, and Brian Lawton's on there, right? Mm-hmm. You turn on a game, and uh, Brian Boucher is on there. Just you know, those guys Mount- saw Brian Berard at a recent Mount game at the True Cup in in Salem, New Hampshire, and Brian Berard was had just watched them win mm-hmm. and was heading but, out to his, his car. There yeah. those guys are at the at the pinnacle, you know, talking about the National Hockey League wh- where they played and, you know, proud Mount guys. Uh, so the legacy, uh, you know, continues. It does continue, and I know Peter can elaborate, but, you know, Matt, Matt Plant took a, a big chance, you know what I mean? But he encapsulated what Bill Belial was about and what Mount was about. And that's him. That's that's what's made the program even stronger. Back, it, it looks like we're reliving the '80s again, you know. Mm-hmm. But Matt Plant and what he's doing, that's 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 a, a man uh, who I have total respect for. He's a good friend of Peter's and myself. Uh, he's he's doing it the right way, you know. He's doing exactly the things that what made Mount successful. He's dedicated himself every single day in that ice, and he's bringing it. And he's in the boys. I and I go see them play, and their hockey is is is, is fun. And I'm watching a PC. It's, it's so good to, to see because my dad's name lives on, and I'm watching PC play. And this is before my dad, and the Rashad boy is out uh, out there. And the, the commentator oh. goes, "Oh, he comes from uh, you know, Mount Mount Saint Charles. Oh, what tradition yeah. they have over there over the years <laughs> yeah, with yeah. Uh, with Bill Belisle. He yeah, Guillaume Richard uh, crushed some of our dreams in Omaha a few times with some of the plays he was making. Uh, I, we were really regretting not drafting that kid. That's for but sure. But there you go. I mean, I think in the high school is is still the, they have the high school. They have they still have that tradition. Yeah. But to be able to to build dorms, it's kind of like as like me and my dad were exiting. It says, "Dad, look at this." When you first started playing hockey in Mount St. Charles, they were boarders. And now we're leaving Mount St. Charles, and the boarders are back. They're back. <laughs> They're back. Nice. Can yeah. you imagine that? You know, so you've, uh, you've come full circle, Coach. You really have. And uh, Mount hasn't missed a beat. You know, you kept that tradition going. And hockey good. players coming from all over the world. All yeah. over. Yeah, that, that whole staff is incredible. I mean, Matt Plant, Devin Rask, yeah. uh, you know, the, the uh, Ganey. I mean, they're... Um, what they're doing and their the passion that they have uh, to, to for the legacy that lives on is pretty cool. I mean, and to see like as you just said, oh my that, God. you know, and now you know there's a high school team and that's still going. So you know, and I think girls hockey is gonna you know, and that's that. There's gonna be like ten teams at Mount. 
<laughs> and that'll be Dad and Dave, Dad's legacy. Cool. Yeah. Yes, absolutely. Yep, the legacy will live. He, he was there as rink manager uh, and hockey coach when the girls started their program. And as resistant as he was to give up some of his ice time, he was the, at the beginning, he, would, he gave them ice time, but he would help go out and help the girls coach, you know, with some drills and stuff. She goes, she said, Mr. Bob, can you help me? So, you know, he had a hand in, in the girls' program, too. I mean, just to give him the confidence that you can do this, you know. You girls can you girls can you do this. And they did. At the, the first, you know, 10, 15 years amount, the girls were were, fan, were fantastic. The program still, still lives today. Um, but, he, you know, he just had a passion for kids. Girls, boys, uh, he, you know, he organized... Uh, uh, little League, uh, Farm League in, in Manville. I know uh, you, if you read his obituary, I was on, on that Little League Farm League. Here's a guy who saw a Little League team that had, you know, in town, 12 players. That's all it was. And ball fields empty. And he took it upon himself to create, uh, what about the kids who were 7 to 12 who were not even playing baseball? So he formulated it. And today, you know, 50 years later, it's still going on. So he always had a passion um, for and the love to to see kids play, and he felt I can help them. You know, I I can give them something that that'll make it fun. That'll that'll give them a, a an edge or give them something to look forward to every every day. You know, and that's what you know. That's what a good athlete is. He looks forward to to going to practice or playing in a game or just, you know, living the dream. You know, you, you need a teacher, you need a coach, you need an organization that's going to make you want to come back or want to go play for, you know. Uh, that inspiration, no question. Well, so, um, wow, it's been it's been a real, real privilege to have you guys in here and to, to talk about your father and, you know, um, you know, whether we're talking UMass, Boston, Beacons or... Mount St. Charles, 18s or 16s, 15s, 14s, they just run the gamut or, you know, the, his legacy lives on, right? Yeah, and it lives on with Peter, it lives on with Peter too. So, you know, um, you know, we're, we're so proud of Peter and uh, he's, he's lived, he's, he's got his father in him and all those, those good attributes that my father has, Peter has. Uh, you might not be able to do it the way he, he did, but who can? Like you said in the beginning. The, do you have the squeaky door? No. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, Dad, they can't have a squeaky door, so. He was my little league coach, and we know, you know, I always joke, because I'm the least famous Belial. He's the, uh, the, he was my little league coach, uh, and then obviously we know what he did in little league, too, and his speech there. And um, I don't think Dad could have done it as articulate as, as you. Uh, and it's funny, we have a, a running joke from my year. We have a speech that he would have gave if it was the Mount High School hockey team that day that lost. A little different. <laughs> <laughs> I when I was doing this process uh, with the little league, and uh, and they had seen that the speech that went that went viral. You know, I got an influx of the hockey players. Oh my God, is is that you? <laughs> I said, "You're 15, 16. These young boys are only 11, 12. It's a little, it's it's a little different, and you know it's. But again, that's a lot of my father coming out of me. You know, he was my little league coach and my coach and the guy, my mentor, and he would give give those speeches at the end at the end of games, uh, just to recapture, you know, what we did, 
how we did it. You know, hands in. Okay, let's go get them. Let's go get them tomorrow. And uh, I, I learned everything about coaching and about life from my. He's he's my hero. Uh, he is uh, he's my partner in in, in life. Um, and he and Peter said it best. And I know you've all mentioned it. The spirit of Bill Belial. Uh, if you played for him, but more importantly, if you if you lived with him, um, it will last forever. I can tell you that much. He did it his way. You know, um, and we learned uh, how to do it, and we've got to adapt in this day and age. Um, I don't think I can put players in the middle of the ice to get dressed anymore, but uh, we'll find a way to get them on time. So if anybody asks you, <laughs> if anybody asks you the directions to Mount St. Charles, just tell them it's right on Bill Belial Way because that's what they named the street after. So that, that's the best part about telling somebody, oh, where's Mount? It's on Bill Belial Way. Yeah. So that's cool. Yeah. That's the way it should have been. Take us home, Mark. Well, I, I you know, you guys have said it all. Uh, you know, in this, I'm uh, I'm happy I was here to, to hear all of this. And, you know, some of the stories I've heard before, but a lot of them I haven't. And it's just great stuff. Great stuff. There's so many more. <laughs> it's <Yeah>. incredible. <laughs> I know. But I want to thank, I really want to thank, thank you both um, yes. for, for having us here in, in, uh, in, in, a time of difficulty, but a time of celebration, and this is perfect. I think uh, people who know Bill Belial, who don't know Bill Belial, I've all said really good things about him, and for us to share some experiences that prove uh, the worth of Bill Belial, I think uh, his name will live forever. Uh, absolutely right, and I want to just echo my thanks to Matt Plant. He's the one that put me in touch with you guys, and uh, he saw he saw the potential for this, and so Matt, you know, when you're listening to this, thank thank you so much, and um, it's been a real pleasure to have you guys, and Thank you. Uh, we'll have we'll maybe do it again sometime. Maybe we'll have an encore. Yeah, but, part uh, two. <laughs> part two. Um, I don't think anyone would ever get tired of the of the Coach Belial stories and just the things he did because it all it translates. It's it's everything he was doing in 1978 is applicable to 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 what coaches can do now to be successful, and that's the that's one of the lasting, just one of the many lasting messages I think. So. Uh, again, it's been a pleasure to have you, uh, David Belisle, Peter Belisle, in studio on behalf of their father, Bill Belisle, legendary coach, Mount St. Charles, uh, for Mark Diver, New England Hockey Journal contributor and battle buddy of mine. This is uh, Kirk Ludicky uh, with the New England Hockey Journal Rinkwise podcast. Until next time, we will see everyone at the rink and Coach Belisle. Godspeed, sir. I know. Uh, I know you're proud of your boys. Thanks for listening to New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise podcast. Be sure to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and other podcast platforms. Follow us on Twitter at NE Hockey Journal, on Instagram and Facebook at New England Hockey Journal, and subscribe to New England Hockey Journal online at hockeyjournal.com. New England Hockey Journal's RinkWise is a Siemens Media Podcast.